Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to Cultivate Church Online. We're in week two of a series we've called the 800-pound gorilla. And we've all experienced this at some point in our lives. There's this tension in the room, this idea or this topic that really affects all of us, but nobody wants to talk about it. That's what we're dealing with all month long here at Cultivate Church. These ideas, these topics that affect us all, these huge things that probably divide us and separate us, and we all have huge opinions about it, but for whatever reason, we're not really talking about it one to another. Maybe we've got very loud opinions. We're shouting our own ideas, but we're not really discussing it. We're not really finding common ground. Week one, Pastor Brandon talked about cancel culture. The idea that if I don't agree with you, I can delete you out of my life. If I don't agree with you, then I can delete you out of culture. And he even brought up the idea that really Christians invented this idea, this boycott. If they don't agree with us, then boycott them. And we've seen that in 2020 more times than we can count. And he gave us some really great wisdom last week about what culture really tries to do with us as it relates to cancel culture. It tries to convince us of its own way. It tries to corrupt us. Really, by the time we get down that far down the road, it tries to capture us and we're caught in the middle of a cancel culture. And he gave us some three really good ways that I believe that we can combat cancel culture and talked about how we need to give up, just surrender to the Lord and, and to give in and to give our all for what he's calling us to do. If you've not seen that, I would encourage you to log in at cultivatechurch.tv and you can catch up on all of our former messages. And today, the title of our message is Picking Sides. Our theme verse, if you've got that in your notes this morning, is John chapter 16, verse 33. It says this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus saw it all coming, He saw it ahead of time. In this world you will have trouble. Maybe by a show of hands or maybe comments in the uh, online there, you can say who's convinced that we've, seen our share of trouble. There's been times where I've even con confessed, okay, Lord, you can stop with the examples, with the illustrations of what trouble is. We know what it is to have trouble in our lives. In case you haven't noticed, 2020 is an election year. And we've become experts across our country at villainizing people who think differently than we do. Everyone thinks differently politically than us. It's really easy to do what really Pastor Brandon talked about last week. Cancel them. Delete them. If we can't agree, then we can't be in relationship with one another. I heard Andy Stanley, a pastor in Georgia, say it this way, Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. So you have to acknowledge that, especially this year, whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent or whether you're Libertarian or whatever, whatever side that you tend to stand with, they've done one thing really well. Every political idea or every political party has really made their living pumping us all full of fear. Fearful, we're, we're, we've become fearful of every idea and every thought process that's not our own or that's not theirs. When you've heard it, the Republicans are going to take away our right to vote. The Democrats, they're going to take away our guns. 
And if you got $25 or $100 or $50, you can donate here, and we're going to help fight that battle. You see, you can raise a ton of money by peddling fear. And if we think the fear of what could happen or is going to happen, if we believe that enough, many of us will do anything we can to not actually see those things come to pass. Here's the problem with fear in our culture and fear really in general. Most of the things we're afraid of, most of the things we worry ourselves sick about actually never come to pass. And we make decisions and we have grand opinions and ideas based on what could happen or what might happen and it never really does happen and it really only affects us emotionally, spiritually, and physically. You see, in 2020, I believe that we have allowed politics to force us to choose a side. You know this, that there really are people different that think differently than you do or I do who still really love Jesus. For most people, political ideas or your political philosophy, it's really determined by, your, by where you grew up. It's determined by your perspective. You see, what that means is it's determined by your life experiences. I tend to lean a certain way politically or in those environments, political parties, based on my own life experiences. Where I grew up, the socioeconomical status of my family, the different things, our point of view. And what I've noticed is most people aren't really ready to simply change their point of view. I don't mean that you have to change your opinions and that. All I'm saying is stop looking at it from standing here and move a little bit and look at a different angle. Simply put yourself in someone else's shoes. Walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Begin to try to see why they see it from the angle that they see it. Here's what I've noticed in my own life, especially in this season of our lives, that politics have risen for many above the gospel. What do I mean by that? It means that we have begun to create a version of faith that supports our political agenda or it supports our political philosophy. But here's a question. What if, can we, can we evaluate our politics through a filter of our Christian faith, the historical collective Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus? What if we as believers, as followers of Jesus, what if we viewed the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the Word of God, rather than having our own man-made philosophy and using proof text in Scripture to kind of prop up our own ideology. Here's what I know. Political philosophy is not the gospel. Political philosophy is not the gospel. What if we chose to follow Jesus even if it's a different view than our political choice or our political candidate? What if my my commitment to the Father, what if my commitment to Jesus was so deeply rooted in Him and in His Word that even if it caused me to, if it created space between me and my political philosophy, I would be willing to follow Jesus instead. So here's the challenge. Can we choose God's side over humanity's attempt to speak for Him? That's really kind of what I believe political philosophy has done. 
You see, we create our own ideas of how the world should operate and what people should do. And by and large, if you're Democrat or if you're Republican, we've seen them all stand on platforms and use Jesus as their why behind what they're doing. As a matter of fact, if you look good enough, most of them use the same scriptures. They twist it or, or, or they, they interpret it in certain ways to, so that they view it differently, but they're all using the Bible. They're all using Jesus as their why behind their philosophy. But what if we chose God's side, commitment to His way over humanity's attempt to speak for Him? Here's what I've learned. God doesn't need anyone to speak for Him. So today, I want to take you through just four things that I think, if we chose God's side over any other side, maybe this is what we would look like. So let's pray together and let's dive into the notes. Father, we love you. We are grateful for your word today, that it is alive and breathing and real and it is for us. Father, I pray that you would challenge us today to desire to look more like you than any other political agenda, to desire to follow you over our own preconceived ideas. Give us a passion for you and the power of your resurrection over and above any other thing. May the gospel rise higher in our lives than anything else and that you would get all of the glory and all the honor out of our lives as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does God's side look like? Here's what people would look like if we chose him over everything else. Number one, if you're taking notes, we are a kingdom people. If we're choosing God's side, we're a kingdom people. I love John chapter 17. Over the last probably seven years, this has become really my favorite passage of Scripture, and it's Jesus praying. He's praying to the Father for something specific. Let's read it together, starting in verse 18. He says, Jesus, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. It's his prayer. God, just as you sent me, I'm sending them. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, he's talking about the disciples that were walking with him, and then he mentions us, but also for all of those who will ever believe in me through their message. Here's what he prays. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. I love this. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are in one. I am in them and you are in me. And I love this. Listen, he says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see, if we're kingdom people, it means that we're a united people. It means that we are rallied around a vision, a call, a single entity that's bigger than anything else that would come against the kingdom. Why? There's a why behind it. Listen to this, church. Everything rides, everything in this world, it rides on our unity as followers of Jesus. Everything rises and falls on our ability to allow the gospel to rise above any of our differences. Did you know this? As long as earth remains, as long as the, the seasons remain, and as long as we're here, we're probably going to disagree to some extent. 
politically. It's always been the case. From the time, the beginning, from the beginning of the foundations of the earth, people have disagreed about human philosophy and human ideas. Political parties have, have risen and fallen. Entire empires have risen and fallen. Politics will come and they will go, but the gospel remains forever. If there's ever been a thing that we can choose aside, it's the gospel of Jesus. See, kingdom people can agree to disagree. Kingdom people can disagree on earthly philosophy and still be united around the gospel. Why? Jesus said so that they will know that there's a God in heaven that loves them. It rises and falls on our ability to recognize that, you know what, you may think different than I do about this particular idea or this particular subject, but we can rally around the gospel. One of my favorite books that I've ever read is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And this past week, I was scrolling through ideas and thinking and studying, and I came across a letter in The Screwtape Letters. And if you've never read it, it's this idea. He began writing these letters, C.S. Lewis did, in 1941 in a, in a newspaper column. And every week, he would just write simply a new letter. And the letter that he was writing was, uh, in theory, from a demon speaking to a, a, a person in his army who is attached to a human. And he's his idea is to trip them up. So we know this scripture teaches us that we have an enemy and he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So Screwtape is writing this letter to his, to his student, giving him advice on how to trip this person up. So check this out. Let's read it. I'm going to read it to you. He said, Dear Wormwood, be sure that the patient remains completely fixated on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things that the patient can actually control. Make sure you keep him in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain toward the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure that the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing that there is a problem with himself. He says, keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. Come on, if that's ever been relevant. That was 1941. And we recognize that today many of us have been distracted by choosing a side when in reality God's side matters the most. It means we're kingdom people. What if we recognize that there was a legit enemy working tirelessly in this election season to destroy our unity and distract us from the gospel? What if we decided to be kingdom people and unified around what matters most? Jesus. Everything else is going to fade. He alone remains forever. Whether you know this or not, our political agendas and our political sides aren't going to be in heaven. Number two, if you're taking notes, if we're choosing God's side, we're a kingdom people. Number two, we are a loving people. We're loving people. John 13 and 34, Jesus unroll, he rolls out his new command to his followers. So I'm giving you a new commandment, verse 34, and he says this, Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And love, listen, he says this again. In verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
So he says in the, the very beginning we read in John 17 that our unity is showing the world that God exists and that God loves people as much as he loves his son Jesus. And then he says this in, in John 13, that our love for one another will prove that we are followers of Jesus. So I've just got some questions. How do I know that I'm loving people? It's good to kind of take these assessments as we walk out our faith journey. So maybe you want to write these down. These are just extra questions you can ask yourself as you're trying to discover how loving of a person are you. He says this because your love for one another determines if the world even knows that we're following him. So here's the first question. How do I know if I'm, if I'm walking the walk or if I'm just talking? Number one, am I patient? Come on, write that down. How's my patience? Am I a patient person? Come on, can I see something that someone else has typed out on social media or something that's going on in my home? Am I literally on edge all of the time? Am I super offended so easily? Has my, how long is my patience? Number two, this is another question, am I kind? You know, there's a difference between nice and kind. Nice is simply smiling and moving along, choosing not to offend someone. Kindness is, is a genuine desire to be kind to someone, a genuine desire. The motive is different. Being nice, you may just not want to cause a scene. Being kind means I go above and beyond to show someone the love of Jesus. Am I a kind person? I love this. Do I tend to be jealous? Am I a jealous person? Am I boastful? Am I boastful? Am I always bragging? Am I, always, am, am I prideful? Am I prideful in my life? I love this one. This one's huge. Am I rude to others? Some of us probably need to go back and delete some things from social media. Or, am I rude? Do I, do I tend to just offend people? Is it my way or the highway? Do I have the presupposition to always demand my own way? Or, am I, or do I allow others in the conversation? This one's huge. Am I irritable? How short is my fuse? Is it easy? Is it just easy for me to be angry, for me to be offended? Well, these are all good questions to ask. Do I keep records of being wronged? Come on, if you file through the filing system in your heart and in your brain right now, do you know every time when you see someone how many times they've done you wrong? Another way to ask that question is do I hold grudges? Is it easy for me to hold a grudge? How many people in your life will you, have you written off, will you not have anything to do with because they've offended you at some point in your life? This one's big in this climate, in this election season. Do I celebrate or justify injustice as long as it's on my side? In other words, as long as it's my team. I'm Republican. Do I celebrate and justify a wrongdoing by my candidate just because I'm voting for the greater good? I'm a Democrat. Do I justify or celebrate a wrongdoing on my candidate or through the Democratic Party just because I'm thinking of the greater good? You know, the Bible tells us that it doesn't celebrate wrong, but it, but it celebrates when truth wins out. Can I choose God's side even if it created a gap in my side? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that love is all of those things. It's patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not prideful. It's never rude to others. Come on, it doesn't demand its own way. 
Love's not irritable. It's not easily offended. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't celebrate injustice, but it, high, it celebrates when, when truth wins out. Love never quits. Come on, ask yourself, are you a quitter? How many times do you just want to quit? How many times have you walked out on that job? Have you left that church? Have you stopped that relationship just because? When love would say there's a better way. When love would say persevere, stick it out. Because love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. Why does this matter? Because it's my love that demonstrates to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus, not my political party. See, maybe you can ask yourself this question, have I chosen the wrong side? Politics, it's going to fade away. I mean, come on, we've got our own side. Everybody's thinking, I'm not saying we don't need to vote this year. We absolutely need to vote. We need to, have, we need to do our due diligence and vote. But you know that our politics, are, they're going to fade. Anybody ever heard of the Federalist Movement or the Whigs? Come on, political agendas have always come and gone. But how I treat people that think differently than me determines how much of the gospel actually lives in me. We're a loving people. Number three, if you're taking notes, you need to know this. We're an obedient people. We're going to choose God's side. We're going to be obedient people. John chapter 15, verses 13 through 17, he says this. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Listen to what Jesus said. You are my friends if you do what I command. Come on, you want to you underline that. You want to write that down. Because he's, he's, he's setting the hook right now. Oh, I want to be your friend. Jesus, I, I'm a friend of Jesus. He said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. That was the setup. Here's verse 17. Now this is my command. You're my friend if you obey me. Now this is my command. Love each other. We just talked about it. We're a loving people. But what does it mean for me to have to walk in obedience and love someone that I so gravely disagree with? I remember... This past week, Matthew Powers and I, he's one of our elders here at the church, we had lunch. My son came with me, and we sat in lunch, and my son was, this time, very well behaved. He obeyed everything that I asked him to do and did what I asked him to do, and it was a pleasant lunch. We had a great time, uh, and as we were leaving, someone in the restaurant, a, a table of ladies, spoke up, and she said, I just want you to know how incredible I, it is that your son sat there and minded you so well, he's so obedient and he was so well behaved and, and that doesn't happen all of the time. Come on, we all have kids. There's been more times than not that that was not the case. But can I tell you, in that moment, I was incredibly proud of my son because obedience, it's a blessing to me and it's a blessing to my son. Can I tell you that same thing is true with our relationship with the father? Obedience is a blessing to him. It makes him proud of us and it's a blessing to us. When, I, when my son walks in obedience to the instruction that I give him, it produces more blessing in his life. What if my obedience, this is a question, what if my obedience to God's word created a gap in my political agenda? 
What if it separated me slightly from the political candidate that I'm choosing, that I'm choosing to vote for? What if I chose not to fall for fear tactics and simply began to believe God and obey His word, His love, His, His command, love one another? Here's my suggestion. Love is not an emotion. It's not based on how I feel. It's not even based on my opinion. Love is an action. And when the Father says, you should love one another, that means any person, whether they agree with me or disagree with me, whether they vote differently than I do or think differently than I do, I can choose actions that produce love one for another and shows the world that there's a God in heaven that loves them. I choose to view the world through the lens of the gospel, not the lens of my man-made political philosophy. We are an obedient people. That means this, that I, if I'm going to walk in obedience to the word of God and the presence of God, it means this, that I am choosing to view the world through the lens of love. Through the lens of love. And here's what that's going to produce. Here's what that's going to do. It's going to remind us, number four, that we are a redeemed people. Come on, except for the grace of God, there I am. We're redeemed. We may think different. We may look different. We may vote different. Our color skin may be different. We may live in different, complete different parts of the world and have complete different opinions and ideas. But one thing we all have in common as followers of Jesus is it took the blood of Jesus to rescue me from my sin. We are redeemed. Romans 5, 8 says it this way, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That while I was still actively participating in disobeying the Father, He loved me by putting into action, demonstrating that love. Come on, it wasn't a feeling, was it? It wasn't an emotion, was it? His love was so great that He sent His only Son. He died for us. And I've realized that something is only as valuable as what someone is willing to pay for it. Just earlier on this year, the, the Kansas City Chiefs signed a 10-year contract with their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. The deal, check this out, 10 years, $4,477 million. And that included a $63 million fully guaranteed at signing. Here's what that means. That guaranteed at signing, $63 million is in his bank account. He never has to play a game. He never has to play a down. Once he signed that deal, guaranteed $63 million. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an incredible amount of money. It makes no sense to me over 10 years to make that kind of deal. But here's what I know. Something is only as valuable as what we're willing to pay for. Now, that sheds a whole new light on John 3.16 and Romans 5.8. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God's not a condemning God. 
but to save the world through him. God didn't come to condemn. God didn't come to take sides. God came to take over. He came to defeat the enemy of our souls. And there's something I need you to know today. For that person on the other side of the aisle, the Democrat, the Republican, the pro-lifer, the pro-choicer, come on, the NRA advocate, the universal health care advocate, the person that's pro-mask or not pro-mask, they're a whosoever too. You see, the gospel rises above politics. He so loved the world that whosoever would come to him could find life in Jesus. Your political candidate will win or lose based on one day in November. But the church, the kingdom will advance or not based on how we treat one another every day. Brandon, how do you know that? What do you mean? The world will know there's a God in heaven by our unity. Our sphere of influence will know that we follow Jesus by our love one for another. So here's the 800-pound gorilla. Come on, the idea that nobody's wanted to deal with. Here it is. Our politics are not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. So maybe you're tuning in today and this is what you're talking through. This has been your idea. Maybe you would confess that you've lived your life in this manner. Maybe in 2020, we've been duped. Maybe you've been duped and you've, been, you've chosen to pick a side. Maybe today will be the first time in your life that you choose God's side. Maybe you would confess that today you really don't have a relationship with the Father. I want to invite you into that relationship. We just said it. God so loved us that even when we were actively warring against him with our lives, he still chose to send his son to live a perfect, sinless life, die on a cross, and come back to life so that we can be redeemed. He has purchased our salvation. It is free and clear for you today. And today, maybe you can settle your eternity in heaven. It simply says it this way. In Romans, that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Christ died and rose again, then we can be saved. And we can be begin a brand new relationship with the Father. And then maybe you're here today and maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you've allowed the enemy to kind of squeeze in and he's made you choose a side. And maybe today you can agree that we can agree to disagree, but we're going to allow the gospel to rise above our man-made opinions. And the only thing that we're going to really focus on is Jesus and Him resurrected. And we're going to allow Him to work out the rest in this season that we find ourselves in. So I'm going to pray with you right where you are. You want to follow Jesus. You can simply say these words, Father, forgive me of my sin. I confess that I have lived my life on my own for far too long. Today I'm choosing God's side. God, I pray that you would wipe my sin away. Your word says that you would throw my sin as far as the east is from the west, never to remind me of it again. So I accept your grace. I accept you as my Savior. And from this point forward, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. Thank you for salvation. And Father, today I pray for our family all over the world tuning in today, followers of Jesus, that we would fight the temptation to choose a side 
of any man-made philosophy. But God, we would choose you first and that you would get all of the honor and all of the glory out of our lives. Father, we choose to walk in obedience to your word. And that's going to make us kingdom people united, not around a political agenda, but around the gospel. And Father, because we do that, people are going to be redeemed. They're going to know who you are and the power of your resurrection. God, may we be so united that there's a world, that the world will know that there's a God in heaven that loves them. And may we love so well that everyone in our sphere of influence will know that we're following you, that you are the Lord of our lives. Father, that you would get all the honor out of it in Jesus' name.